Hello and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman, you can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel, you can call me Q. I've been in the midst of wedding planning, and I've been kind of assembling my outfit for the day, and so I ordered a suit jacket from uh, from the Black Tux, a uh, wedding rental website. They also do purchase items, which is what I went ahead and did, and... Um, the suit jacket that they sent me was like comically missized. And I'm just like, you guys, <laughs> your one job is like, I indicated what my correct size was. Like they had it on yeah. their end. I, I don't know what happened. It was like a $450 suit jacket. Wow. Like, how do you screw it up so badly that you can't even send the right size? That's extraordinary. Yeah, that's not good at all. So what what do they have in place for retribution, if you will? <laughs> I mean, luckily, as a business that primarily subsists on rentals, they have a very handy return policy, which yeah. I'll be taking full advantage of. But it's like, you know, like their typical thing is that they send these, uh, they send the rental suits two weeks before your big event. So you have time to try it on and swap it out. But like, if they aren't even going to send the correct size the first time around, like that's leaving people with a very small amount of time to fix any mistakes if, uh, yeah. you know, if they crap the bed twice there. Well, I hope I get to see you in either a perfectly fitting or comically oversized uh, <laughs> suit <laughs> in person one day. I'll have something worked out. <laughs> we we hope. We can only hope. Yeah, cool. Well, at least, uh, at least they made it right. I think like I always kind of assume being a larger guy that just basically most things from these rental places are, you know, they're going to be only ever in the ballpark of fitting me and always require some sort of alteration. Mm. And so I, the last suit I got, I think I went on, you know, some, Hey, I heard about this on a podcast. So I went up and checked out Indochino and they're fine. Indochino's good. Yeah. 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 It wasn't a, it wasn't a terrible experience. I don't know if the suit fits as well as I'd like it to, but, but better than anything off the shelf. I have an Indochino suit and it's, uh, it fits really well on nice. me anyways, but uh, they do everything kind of made to order. And so everything is custom to your sizing. Did you get sized up in the store? Or did you kind of just order an off the rack size? I got sized up in a store, but I, I don't know if, if I was, if I, if I had a couple extra inches on me that day or what, but I, I, <laughs> I always, I think the pants are usually, I wish they were about half okay. an inch longer. Right. And they didn't give me, they, mm. they didn't let me like go in and just dial in my numbers. They made me, they were, they were like, no, you have to go back to the store or reach out for support to, to dial in the numbers. That was strange. Yeah. Yeah. That is an odd one. Clothes shopping online. I know. It's just, just the worst. But um, anyways, let's get to the pitches today. You're going to be going first. So what are you bringing us? So today I wanted to talk through this idea that I've had of, you know, we've got these uh, um, increasingly, hopefully in stock next gen consoles over the next year plus. They render these incredible graphics. And I'm wondering if we can't come up with something that is a little bit a return to the days when the gaming industry seemed to be fetishizing the destructible environment. And so imagine, if you will, a first-person shooter, uh, a competitive shooter, 1v1 multiplayer, and you are facing off between you and another player, a maze full of particle board. 
So the entire level can be blown apart, holes uh, blasted through it. You can uh, create your own sight lines, this, that, and the other thing. That's the foundation, but I'm sure we can add cool twists, powers, whatever. I'm going to go ahead and start the clock. So there's some elements of Rainbow Six Siege in here with the kind of destructible environments creating sight lines and uh, kind of laying in wait. You know, the um, the cover is more a visual cover than it is actual physical protection. And so, you know, I kind of like this idea of having a cover-centric shooter without the cover providing you protection. Like it still incentivizes movement. So you can't hunker down but you do want to use cover to try to break sightline. It almost goes back to like GoldenEye, GoldenEye times. Yeah, totally. And I, I actually, the moment this came to me, don't ask me why, but my wife and I were re-watching Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and there is that kind of, uh, I don't even know if it's a famous moment or not, but there is that moment where they both kind of turn and, really just have their guns pointed at themselves in the mirror. Um, but because both <laughs> people are, are, both characters are reasonably similar oh, right, height yeah. and stuff, you could make this assumption of, I know where the person head was going to be. And so I just thought it would be really fun to, at the beginning of this match, maybe place the players semi close together. So really a well-timed stray bullet can still I wonder if you'd have to do like one shot, one kill in this kind of thing. I wonder if consoles have the power these days to do like one of those John Wick Hall of Mirror type things. I guess James Bond did it first, but to have all these reflections and you can't tell what's the enemy and what's you, um, what's your reflection. Maybe in the next actual Bond shooter, we can have that, what is it, the Christopher Lee's layer? <laughs> From that from that <laughs> film, I don't remember which one that was though. Oh yes, 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 yes. I yeah. I mean, you would think we'd be able to trace some rays here, um, and uh, and be able to do a highly reflective combat environment. But I like that. Like maybe it's even different arenas and stuff. But the one thing that they all have in common is they you know shoot and shatter and blow apart. And maybe I can imagine one with just like a bunch of like clothing lines and stuff and maybe the clothes can like catch on fire and that sort of thing. So I think in um, Earth Defense Force, in those third person shooters, there's kind of a certain strategy to just destroying the city that's around you. I should say, to put it in context, it's not the most widely known series in existence, but it's a series of third person shooters in which you play essentially the army in a kaiju movie. Um, the world is being overrun by giant insects and you play just kind of like regular army guys that are going out there and shooting at the insects. But everything that, you know, all the levels take place in, well, there is some variety, but many of the levels take place in like large urban cities, uh, kind of downtown environments. And, you know, stray rockets will cause buildings to collapse. And sometimes that becomes a bit of a strategy, uh, you know, because you're not really limited by ammo or anything like that. Sometimes you just kind of fire off rockets to level the city around you so that the the giant ants and spiders won't have anything to crawl on top of to get the the jump on you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there's a certain strategy to uh, I can imagine in a multiplayer type setting though, if you're trying to be at least somewhat stealthy, leveling the course around you would create not only kind of a noise indication of where you are, but you'd see the dust and the particles and stuff flying out from from above, from uh, quite far away. So you'd be kind of giving away your position as well. 
Yeah, I love the idea of playing with materials and really playing up some of the physically based rendering sort of stuff that uh, we have in our tech stack today. So I, I wonder if there's like, I, I can imagine a whole level that is like cork board. <laughs> so it really muffles sound and this sort of thing. Or like maybe the, the Hall of Mirrors is very sound reflective and we get 3D audio stuff going on. One of the things that, that I was thinking about, is, and, and I don't know how you could set this up or create it to be like this, but the idea of, you know, maybe I've got some bullets on my gun and I want to shoot like three or four consecutive holes in a straight line, and then I can kind of gauge like player movement on the other side, right? I can anticipate a shot without the other person ever even finding out. There's a, another game that I've always had my eye on but I've never kind of pulled the trigger to buy it, um, called Hunt Showdown. Do you know this one? Hunt Showdown. I know it. I'd have to look it up. Hunt Showdown. I don't want to call it a multiplayer shooter. It is, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a multiplayer monster hunter in a way. Like you enter a map either alone or with a group of up to like three or something participating like on your side. And then there are, maybe three or four other either solo individuals or teams, you know, small teams like that, that are entering the map elsewhere. These giant maps, all based on kind of the American South uh, from uh, probably 1800s, early yeah, 1900s. I think it's kind of set in that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's one like monster per course. Uh, and, and they're kind of like urban legend monsters. It could be something that's kind of humanoid, like a, you know, a mad butcher or something like that, or it could be something that's a little bit more animalistic. You know, sometimes it's like a, a swamp witch yeah, uh, or something of the like. And everybody is like, the primary objective is to, you know, track down clues to locate this monster and prepare for this monster fight, kind of witcher style and uh, take out the monster. Is the but monster AI in that scenario? The monster's AI, yeah. Okay. Uh, but all the other player teams have the same objective. And if they find you, then obviously they can eliminate the competition. Wow. So it's up to you to be really kind of careful and quiet. There's a few kind of scattered mobs throughout the throughout the level that you know can create little combat encounters, but you really want to be careful to be quiet. And there's um actually a super bunny hop did a really great video about it. How and he talks about how you know there are certain kind of signs you can look out for, like you know a flock of crows flying away is usually because somebody was in the area to kind of scare them. And so you oh, know you know there's a group of players in that direction. Sometimes you'll hear a gunshot from far away and be able to kind of pinpoint where generally it came from. And you know if you know the map very well, it's like kind of what enemies they're battling and stuff like that and so it's using all these kind of peripheral clues to try to locate these uh these other players and it's one of those types of games where it's like if you get the drop on somebody if you know where they are without them knowing where you are it's pretty easy to end the battle pretty quickly you know it's not uh not extended firefights for the most part yeah, I'm surprised. I'm I'm watching some of the gameplay as you talk about it, and number one, I, I a legitimately beautiful looking game from what I can see here. Yeah, it's surprising to me that I haven't heard more about this because I feel like very recently, Dead by Daylight. I guess maybe maybe that's yeah, the one yeah. that won the market uh, here instead of uh, this game. But seemingly, this game it, to me is is even more 
intriguing because it, it feels a little not left for dead. I don't know. The combat almost looks like it has the weight of a, I don't know, like a Bioshock or a condemned criminal origin, that sort of first person type of feel. Yeah. I mean, it, it wants to, it wants to end battles in as few bullets as possible. You know, it makes things feel especially deadly because every bullet is not only a, you know, offensive and defensive weapon, but it's also going to alert everybody within a mile radius of where you are. So yeah, yeah I mean, it looks very interesting. It's one of those games that I'm interested in the concept of, but I know that I would never spend enough time with it to actually get to a level where I just don't like being online in general in games. <laughs> yeah. Same. I, I think it's one that I'm just not destined to play, but like I'm super interested in it. it it's the, it's anyways. The, I was going to say it's the perfect game for if we could still legitimately get together and have the concept of a LAN party. It seems like it would be a riot. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. All people that you know. But anyways, uh, not to sidetrack things too much, but kind of using these um, some of those concepts of taking those peripheral clues and cues to uh, try to you know, gain a, uh, gain a perspective over a large destructible environment. Um, I, I would love if you have the, and this actually goes back to a couple of weeks ago with, uh, Thomas Quilfelt on the show, we talked about a big kind of destructible environment platformer and how, you know, you have the ability or I guess, let's say unwitting propensity to set off chain reactions that can kind of narrow down where you are as well. You know, you destroy one thing and that's a support for something else and entire structures might collapse or you might set a fire that spreads. Um, but yeah. all these like, Spelunky all these destructible things sort of that, yeah, all these destructible things that are so fun in other games and, you know, Far Cry and stuff like that and uh, Red Faction Guerrilla are something you want to try to avoid here because uh, obviously you don't want to draw attention to where you are. Yeah, I like the idea of the the arenas are relatively naked circles or squares and um all the things that fill them are sort of the destructible madness and I and even like I love the idea of, you know, a match escalating with, you know, literally with a match. Um but you can imagine like as the fire ravages, walls are disintegrating and falling apart and that sort of thing and you find yourself uh, being like, I, it, it would almost behoove a player to like for a moment stand still just to fool the other person into believing like, am, am I seeing the, is this a piece of environment in front of me or is this a person? Oh yeah, interesting. And then kind of play those sorts of levels of surprise and anticipation. But yeah, with that, with that extreme level of deadliness, like you talked about. Anyways, we're well over time on that one. Let's give it a name. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. Um, huh. Do you think? Do you think if we we gave it a little kitsch, um, that we could call it like Peekaboo or something? Peekaboom? Is that too <laughs> too silly for what this is? Um, it feels I'm, like a phone game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking we have Death Loop, which is which is a really cool slick game, but a pretty stupid title, I think. But. Uh, <laughs> Peekaboom also sounds a little bit like a Pikachu attack in uh, in Super Smash Brothers or something like that. What do they call like? Is there a term for putting a hole in a wall or something? Defenestrate is when you throw someone out of a window. That's kind of similar. What if we called it hole in the wall? Hole in the wall. Uh, sure. It's kind of funny. I mean, it. I guess it has certain connotations depending on who you're talking to. But <laughs> well, let's you know where where's the combat take place? Ah, oh, a little hole in the wall. It's all about blowing holes in walls. I don't know. <laughs> it's true. 
hole in the wall. There's no glory to be found here. Yes. Perfect. Subtitle. All right. Hole in the wall. I think that's just quirky enough to work. Cool. Let's, uh, let's go on to my pitch for the day. Um, I have been, uh, as I mentioned last week, I've been watching a lot of The Sopranos lately. And so it got me in the mood for some kind of a, a mafia themed game. You know, I'm, I'm into, yeah. like the thing about mafia is that like they do a lot of odd jobs, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> they're involved odd. in like, they're involved in a lot of like different types of businesses, you know, in the Sopranos, they're involved in like waste management and construction and strip clubs and all these things to various degrees, um, as well as all of the kind of criminal activities, the uh, drug running and the murders and stuff like that. But I, um, I'm curious to take a mafia style story and, and all of the kind of associated odd jobs within, but everything is done by performing bowling based mini games. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, a bowling mafia game. I'll uh, go ahead and start the clock. So I'm a wise guy. We're talking candle pin. We're talking 10 pin. What are we talking here? Maybe all of the above. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine you're not actually throwing the ball at, at pins most of the time. It's either kind of enemies that you're trying to, you know, maybe people who are shooting at you all kind of line up oh. in that similar arrangement or, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's kind of like how uh, uh, Yoku's Island Express kind of incorporates pinball elements. Like, I want this to be like a otherwise kind of serious faced game. Not super serious. Like, it's all pretty tongue in cheek, but... Everything that you do, you do by bowling a large ball at things. Oh my God. Cause I, I even thought about a mini game as you were describing that of like, you're, you're forcing somebody to put their 10 fingers down on a table and you're going to bash them with a hammer or something <laughs> like that to teach them a lesson, <laughs> which, I, which maybe if we give it bowling mechanics actually still works. You just roll over their fingers with the bowling ball. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing... Is this, are we in a, an openish bowling world? Is this like a true crime streets from streets of LA, but I can, I've just got a bowling ball with me wherever. I don't think it would be as open as something like a sleeping dogs or a Grand Theft Auto or something like that, but maybe a little bit more like a, like a Lego game maybe where, you know, most of the time when you're on story missions or, um, you know, you have a pretty set path that you're going down you know it's kind of guiding you through a curated experience but you have uh i guess maybe some open-ish small open world opportunities around you in the kind of in-between space as well that you can you know optional missions to engage with i i was just thinking about the kind of comedy of only being able like in the same way that video games tend to be like okay really your only verb here is kind of moving and shooting um, exotically, maybe you get like an interact button to like talk or get in a car or something. But the, the idea of like step one, like imagine Grand Theft Auto heist for a second, like step one, choose your crew and they're all standing in, you know, kind of a, a 10 pin configuration and you got a bowl to select the member of your crew. And then you got to kind of bowl your car down the <laughs> down the road or something to get to the destination you have spin and gutters and the whole thing you're trying to nudge this car along and then you get there and then enemies are attacking you and it's it's kind of a third person deal but you still got the like wind up approach and bowling is the only thing that you can do so you're just like this 
this mafioso with obviously we got to put him in a bowling shirt, right? We got to go the full Tony Soprano here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but all he, all he could do is bowl. Like that's all he knows. What other types of mafia activities, you know, I think it'd be real easy to envision like shaking somebody down, like it'd be a shame if something were to happen to these beautiful, beautiful flowers in your flower shop, you know? And, you know, it's yeah. fun to bowl things around and break stuff. Like what other types of mafia activities, disposing of bodies by bowling them into the river or. Yes. We, we also got to have uh, like loading piles of cash into bags via bowling um, and, <laughs> uh-huh. and unloading trucks of uh, stolen goods with bowling. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny as well. Um <laughs> I mean, these are all, these are all good. I can imagine them in my, in my mind. I don't know why it's actually kind of, and I, I imagine what we're imagining is pretty similar in its format. <laughs> oh my gosh. What do you think? Like, do we go full Sopranos and, you know, I say this not having seen the Soprano shame on me. I've never seen it. Can you believe it? Do we go full Sopranos and like give the mafia person, you know, trouble at home? Like the, the husband or the wife is not happy because of all the crimes you're doing or the fact that it's affecting the family and you've got to like bowl your way through dialogue choices or something like that. That's one of the things I was thinking. And also like, you know, you're involved in a lot of very sensitive conversations with powerful people that can, you know, turn on you uh, as soon as things go sour. And so it's kind of like, maybe you have to bull through these kind of metaphorical <laughs> yeah. lanes and the more pins you knock down the more it's either like a zero to ten gradient of like how well you respond or maybe it's a one half of the bowling grid is the renegade choice and the other half is a more diplomatic yeah. choice yeah and you can not only kind of go one side or the other you could avoid the lane completely to just kind of stay quiet or you can like bowl down the center to try to incorporate aspects of both of it both of them right it's like maybe there's uh not only dialogue choices but the like chance of them succeeding is the number of pins that you knock over or something like that (laughs) i was also just thinking that like the gutters are like a total breakdown in the conversation like somebody's gonna get killed if you bowl a gutter so you know there's gonna be a firefight that breaks out i was i was also thinking like what what would we do about like is there a way to bowl a perfect game in this thing. I think it would, I think that would kind of depend on, I mean, I, I presume like each of these interactions would be more kind of warrior wear style, yeah. you know, do it like the bowling is either scored as a typical bowling game or it's a metaphor for something else. Maybe it is kind of broken into like each level is 10 like frames of interaction in a way. And then maybe it is kind, kind of, of tallied up like a traditional bowling card at the end. So you must have like little, Phoenix ready interstitials where things are going on, but then everything actualizes itself through, through a bowling game. I was also thinking like, you know, back home at the family, you got to go pay respects to your mother and you got to make her famous spaghetti and meatballs. And you got to roll those meatballs down that bowling alley. You just got to do it. <laughs> Knocking over delicious nests of pasta. <laughs> I think it would be quite funny. Acknowledging to- that we're veering well into, uh, racial and, and cultural stereotypes <laughs> yeah, here. Just a Apologies, little, all of our Italian <laughs> listeners. I just need the Michael Scott gabagool, right? And then I'll be all the way <laughs> over there. 
one of the things that uh, I think would be really interesting to do, like as you're setting up these different metaphors, right, is kind of what we talked about in the first pitch, which is like play with material, you know, like if the character mm-hmm. is experiencing emotion or if they, you know, maybe they just dumped a body in the mash and uh, if you dump the body in the mar- mash, you know, the bowling alley is, you know, slippery and wet and that sort of thing. So there's all sorts of like different bowling types of environments to put fun spins on the, the activity. I would like also if the, you know, there, if the, the course was somewhat interesting as well, you know, if you were in a uh, street fight then uh, or, you know, a fight on the streets you, you know, you'd have to account for like the streets being uneven and potholes, mm. the kind of rough texture of the streets as well as you're kind of bowling along. So, you know, it's kind of like a golf game in that way where, you know, the ground is uneven and, and the ball is has a tendency to roll one way or the other. Or, you know, if you're caught in a sand trap, then it's going to be a bit of a different texture or a different swing required. I feel like we've gone on a game genre journey as well, which is where like, GTA was in my head first, and we talked about WarioWare and a Phoenix right, and then the Super Monkey Ball has been in my head too. But now, when you say that, it almost takes on a Yakuza vibe to me, doesn't it? Where you're just like going to all these locales, and and the way that Yakuza switched from you know brawler to uh, to turn-based RPG. I wonder if there's yet another turn of, uh, you know, bowling sim. That's right. Let's, uh, let's close that one down. Let's give it a name. So I had uh, two ideas as we're doing this. Um, the first one I like is uh, pinstripe, <laughs> 10 pinstripe maybe. Uh, and then uh, the other one was, hey, you're breaking my balls. <laughs> <laughs> so again, veering into these stereotypes, I apologize. Oh my gosh. We're sorry, Italian Americans, uh, for the content of this pitch. Man, you're breaking my balls is very funny. Pinstriped is so good. And then you do the cover Pinstripe and you do all the a, mafia people in the suits. Or I guess the, the logo would be like the bowling pins, but they all have little like fedoras on them, <laughs> jackets, little uh, zoot suits. Oh, I was thinking maybe maybe if you have all the people in pinstripe suits, but they're all kind of jumping out of the way of a giant bowling ball that's like crashing down the center. <laughs> Pretty funny too. Anyways, I, I like this. I think uh, the key art draws itself. Yeah. Um, it could be a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, let's move over to our community. And we do have a community pitch today. Thank you hey. so much. It's been a little while since we've heard from our actual community. Um, this one comes from Bobby F who says farming, uh, farming sim with programmable robots, more rune factory than harvest moon. I'm going to start the clock there. Bobby F pipe this game into my brain right now. I love it. Do you know, H I've got a long storied history with the factorios and astroneers and uh, Dyson sphere projects of the world. And this is a farming game I think I could really get into. You know, I yeah, I thought of you immediately when I read this, the, the kind of automation of of work. How do we keep this feeling different from a, you know, factorio or something? I think maybe a uh, trying to keep the reliance away from like just conveyor belts. Conveyor belts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More towards kind of programmable 
assistance. Oh, sh- sh- shout out to Satisfactory too. Actually, I think we should take a page from Satisfactory on this one. Satisfactory has this, or at least had at one point, I assume it still does, um, this ability to take a car um, or a vehicle and sort of tell it to record, if you will, and then you drive it along a path. Um, and it will continue to sort of do that path and that loop so long as it has fuel. I really think that, like, in the way that farming is about organic things, right? It is about uh, harvesting mm-hmm. food. Uh, maybe it's about also, you know, wrangling animals and, and doing stuff like that. I think it would be really cool to, like, have that farming sim angle of getting on the tractor telling it like, hey, this is the path I want you to follow day in and day out or on a weekly basis or whatever, kind of seeing how efficient you yourself did because you would still have your own hand-touch organic control over what path it took. All right, so what can robots bring to this that... uh, I feel like there have been farming games that have had like farmhand assistance. And I mean, the fact that there are video game characters means that they are you know, by nature automated you like what makes robots individually special you know maybe you can uh, you can swap out parts on a robot you can uh, kind of hyper specialize them by design yeah that's true i also think that one of the things that's interesting about robots is the fact that you're really trying to i think a lot of the factory games now they're very kind of uh, for efficiency's sake, for kind of meditative sake, they're very kind of naked about their numbers and efficiency. Like they will say, this conveyor belt transports two units at this rate across, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, or this thing is producing 1.2 grain a second and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the nature of, let's say we're rebuilding this farming thing. Let's say we're it's a true... Um, Stardew Valley-esque, like I inherited this from my grandfather. I don't know how any of this works and I'm going to come and ruin a farm and turn it mechanized. If we have that and we actually make it almost like that game Moonlighter, where you yourself have to figure out when is the best time to water this crop? When is the best time to harvest this crop? Can I harvest this crop at different times to yield a different food result? You know, is there a difference between the new quote unquote new potato and the, you know, the Yukon gold, if you will. Yeah. So I, I love the idea of using that Moonlighter-like system where in Moonlighter you have to kind of uh, get things and then price them yourself and kind of organically figure out based on context of what the game feeds back to you if you are getting the best result. I think having that, but in a way of taking care of your crops would be really cool. And then like programming your robots to to dial in that efficiency like oh no it needs a little less water and it only it needs it one more day a week or something what if this was like a banjo kazooie nuts and bolts thing where you can kind of build each of your robots uh from scratch maybe you have to like find the individual you know brick pieces and um component parts you could put together and then it's really up to you to design them any way you want to I think that's really cool. And then you could also imagine the nuts and bolts builder for like an irrigation system. Like you have to do like overhead uh, waterers and that sort of thing. Maybe even you get into the, get some drones going to get your uh, pesticides as well. All right. So what else about being robots is uh, kind of makes us an interesting, maybe. Okay. So 
we talked a little bit about like fuel source earlier. Um, I think there's a certain kind mm. of elegance to them consuming the same things they're harvesting. You know, if they're uh, able to kind of like bio fuel their way, like using crops and stuff, then you have to kind of like take a little bit of a tax off of your returns. But maybe there's kind of an equally interesting route to explore of like they require different resources, resources that you get from like a mine instead of the farm. And so you have to kind of allocate your different, um, your different robots in different areas. Uh, so, you know, you can't put all of your robots into farming because you're going to run out of fuel and then nobody else is going to be in the mines to get that resource that you need to keep your fleet alive. Oh, that makes sense. I was also thinking like in the same way that Factorio kind of has that concept of, Hey, every once in a while, the alien life forms on this planet are going to push back. This doesn't necessarily have to be aliens, but is there, you know, do your robots need to defend your farm? Is there some tower defense in this thing as well? Then I could like take over a robot and actually have a little battle bots in the middle of the (laughs) the game. Another uh, part of farming games traditionally is the ability to go into town and get married, uh, you know, to find somebody to settle down with. I gotta tell you, you can cut out the marriage, Stardew. I just want to I mean, get all these a, rocks. You know, a life situ- simulation. <laughs> yeah, I get it. it. People, it, it means that your character has some sort of a a life to live for instead of just being solely dedicated to maximizing their crop outputs. <laughs> yeah, uh, adds a layer of unpredictability on something that is supposed to be kind of by nature formulaic. Uh, but what if you instead of engaging with the young men and women of the town directly you have to send your robots to do all the dating and gifting and wooing for you that's interesting so you got to program these robots with a bit of a personality as well and then if your robot goes on a bad robot date maybe they're less good at at, uh, running your farm the next day (laughs) um so we have to talk about glitches and malfunctions as well like how how crazy do you want things to go? Like, what, what is the element of chaos that we want to throw into this? Are crops destroyed? I mean, would that be too much? Would that be too frustrating? I like when uh, games like uh, Two Point Hospital, where it's like all the things that go wrong are all kind of like comedic as well. And so there's a certain kind of joy in seeing them unfold. You know, SimCity has that with its natural disasters and uh, Godzilla strikes and stuff like that, where it's like there's some kind of joy in seeing just how how poorly things go. I love the idea of potentially also having, if, if it's kind of Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts style, having this, um, I don't know, choice or like a limited amount of total blocks that could ever be in play. So it's kind of up to you if you want the, um, if you want a bunch of little robots kind of needling around the farm, or if you want like a big old kaiju uh, that's, uh, that's just the master of your farm. And he wakes up like, uh, every day, like Pacific Rim, just, I fix all the crops at once. That's right. Maybe there's, uh, maybe there's these kind of like embedded robots from ancient times in the environment that you're working towards. It's kind of like the, uh, community center in Stardew Valley, how you're kind of working towards doing all these little goals along the way to try to awaken these big elemental golems and um once they're awake then they can really kind of overhaul and push you into the next realm of 
the game, you know, to really kind of open things up in uh, in ways kind of like in, uh, you know, in Stardew, how uh, completing some of those community center requests can grant you access to new areas. Like these things can do the farming job so well that it kind of propels you into that next strata of uh, of gameplay management. Yeah, I like that. And then I, I do like um, reaching a critical mass with your farm where like the town planners like, you know what? could you be designing some robots to like build us a new community center? And like, now you get into like a whole construction phase of the game of like, Oh, well now I'm designing this new type of robot. And that unlocks things where you go back and you're like, well, there's actually all of these efficiencies I can go back and take back to the farm. Now that I understand like how a building is constructed. All right. I think that's enough time on that one. Let's give it a name. What do you think of junk farmer? Junk farmer. Does that mean something? I don't know. Uh, just out of curiosity, I, is that a play on anything? I, I feel like farming junk is kind of an RPG-ish sort of term, but... I wonder if there's like a... It feels like these are two very kind of like, you know, we we are working with two subjects with a very kind of broad range of terminology. I, I'd kick myself if I didn't... If I thought of the perfect pun after recording. What, <laughs> what if you did crop core? C-O-R-P-S? Or crops core? <laughs> There's a uh, there's an elegance to that written down, I think, that comes through a lot better than it being spoken aloud. But that I think that would make for a fun uh, episode title. It would make someone read it like three times to double check they're, they're saying it the right way. <laughs> All right. Crops Core. Uh, thank you very much, Bobby F., for sending that one in. And uh, as always, we would like to remind people to submit your very own ideas. We're running out of of playwright shows to read these on. So please do uh, make your word known now. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Uh, throw your idea yeah. out there and no. uh, let us, uh, let us mull it over while we still can. Um, we have a couple more months, I believe of this to go. And then we are hitting the road, buddy. <laughs> Buckaroo. On the road again. That's right. Well, if you would like to send it in, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can tweet us at playwrightcast, or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. When you're listening to things, you can go listen to all the great shows on the Canon Rinse Network, like Canon Rinse, like Sound of Play, like The Sausage Factory. And why not check out the Patreon? Why not subscribe to the or follow rather on the instagram we we don't subscribe to podcasts anymore that that happened during the run of this show we only follow them now ryan did you hear about this no uh i i've never really been a part of that ecosystem <laughs> a- apple is changing the terminology in their podcast apps from subscribe to follow really yes because i guess That's a number of people thought odd. subscribing meant you might have to pay uh, i guess that makes sense okay i, I can see that <laughs> all of these normies who haven't gotten into the podcast world like we've been <laughs> living in think that you have to pay for this stuff no our show is dang free go check it out that's right uh what do we do? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I got thrown off for a second there. <laughs> yeah, I took us off course. Please do subscribe if you haven't. Or please do follow if you haven't already, <laughs> I guess. We don't want to chase people away. We don't have a paywall here. Uh, we're the only ones that pay for our content. Ugh. Anyways. <laughs> that, that little said, don't cut that ugh out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I'm really kind of uh, really thrown off my flow here. I don't know what happened. It's a weird energy day. It's a weird energy day. But I, I've got to stump you today. That's the whole thing we're, we're going to end on. All right. Okay, cool. Let's let's go through a 
a redacted game, which we do at the end of each show. If you haven't listened before, we read an official game description from Metacritic and redact all the pertinent details to try to make it a bit more of a kind of 20 questions ask guessing game of uh, what game has been redacted like it would be on a government document. Today's redacted game in a lush of diabolical danger where everyone wait sorry stop already yeah in a lush of diabolical i've never heard lush used in that way like lush is a descriptor for like <laughs> you're supposed to follow that up with yeah anyways and like in a lush blush of like, diabolical in a lush world of diabolical right i, I see yeah, what you're saying but, but it that's just not says it in a lush of huh. that's right don't All google right. it because it'll see. probably expose it right away with that specific <laughs> wording to be like the one instance of that being used like that. <laughs> In a lush of diabolical danger where everyone wants to redact you. You're the redact guy with no redacted. Run, jump, hide, redacted and redacted your way past the ugliest bunch of redacted ever created. Unlock redacted special powers, then figure out your foes and you might save your redacted. Don't, and you're redacted. Enter redacted, surreal sensory overload of pure gaming, and claim your destiny. This, uh, I'm not picking out a lot of details that seem really specific to this game. (laughs) Feels like it could be anything. I Uh, know. I I, I do like that it... um, I think the tone of it. Yeah, it it does feel kind of jovial, kind of lighthearted. So a so what was the first line? A lush of diabolical danger. Diabolical danger. All right. Everyone wants to redacted you. Everyone wants to. So I I presume that the redacted word there is is kill or something like that. It's like a negative word because it's kind of following up on the yeah. Okay, let me out of the gate guess. Is this is this evil genius? Or what is that game called? Is that what it's called? Evil Genius? Uh, I don't know. But okay, well, is, you wouldn't it, know if that was the right yeah, answer. So there's not my... Evil Genius. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about, though? That kind of Dungeon Keeper-esque yes. game where you're playing a, kind of a James Bond villain. Anyways, just had a sequel this year. Worth looking into. Evil Genius 2 right. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, something like that. Uh All right, let's get some uh, additional information out there. I think you need some help. This is the... Number seven best uh, best game of its platform of 1997. It's the number three most discussed game of its platform in 1997 and the number eight most shared game of its platform of 1997. So kind of my backup guess, what I was thinking as you were reading the pitch based on the tone and everything, I felt like this could be like Boogerman 64, but <laughs> hearing how, how accoladed it was yes i mean the year seems about right but yeah. seeing how accoladed it was i i don't anticipate that that is the correct answer <laughs> yeah I've, i feel confident giving to you that you should not guess Boogerman 64 but 1997 that's interesting so this is a year after the launch of the n64 um, i mean it could be a playstation game it could be a pc game mm-hmm. something about this feels kind of n64 as well Could you read the description again? In a lush of diabolical danger where everyone wants to redacted you, you're the redacted guy with no redacted. Run, jump, hide, redacted and redacted 
your way past the ugliest bunch of Redacted ever created. Unlock Redacted special powers, then figure out your foes, and you might save your Redacted. Don't, and you're Redacted. Enter Redacted surreal sensory overload of pure gaming and claim your destiny. Okay. You know what? Actually, I I feel like I have a pretty good second guess. Ooh. I feel more confident now than I usually do at a second guess. I don't know which which of the two it would be, though, because I know it's not the third or beyond in the series. But is this one of the first two Oddworld games? Is one of the first <laughs> two Oddworld games. <laughs> do I have to guess which one? <laughs> I, I guess mean, I, you're, that is so I close to the second guess. at this point. <laughs> I mean, it would either be Abe's Odyssey or Abe's Exodus. So let's let's say let's say Odyssey. Ding 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 ding. Hey, <laughs> the number seven best PlayStation One game of 1997, PS One game, nice, uh, yeah. most discussed, and it is a Metascore of. Uh, let me move this out of the way. 85 from uh, Metacritic and 8.8 for our user score. The recent. Recently revived sequel, Soulstorm. Uh, Soulstorm, which looks quite good. Um, I've heard mixed things oh, about it. <laughs> but shame. Again, just a, a few opinions. I haven't done the review dive yet. Just you know, conversation on podcasts and such. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get past much far past the fact that it it literally looks good to me. Like it does look very yeah. well art directed. I think. Yeah, yeah. Those games have always had a really appealing style to them. I think. Um, I mean, they kind of like run the line of being intentionally unappealing, but having lots of appealing <laughs> elements. I think they're meant to feel, you know, very uh, lots of grays and uh, discordant. But I love uh, I love Abe's design and his his sewn shut mouth and everything. Like it's such like an iconic look. And uh, you know, Stranger from Stranger's Wrath as well. Some uh, some great stuff in there. Did you get further into Stranger's Wrath? By the way, I thought you were playing it. At one you know, point. I. I think we talked about that when this was the redacted game, but I, it's one that I mean to revisit because I got to, I got through most of the game, but I got to a point in the game and I think I like rolling safe locked myself into an unwinnable position. Oh no. Cause it was like, it was one of those things where like I look it up online and then everybody is talking about the same thing. So it's like just one of those points in the game. That's just like a huge problem. And it's like, uh, on foot trying to escape like a bursting dam or something like that but it's one of those where like you it's like such a tight timed sequence that like you can save yourself into an unwinnable position and i think that's what i did so i abandoned my save game but i i have been meaning to start over and actually go back and finish it damn that sucks well hey odd world you guessed it i I gotta keep i gotta keep trying to stump you (laughs) good one though i like that um let's uh yeah thanks everyone for listening We'll catch you again next week for I think it's I think it's one ninety nine next week. Ooh. So we're almost up on our two hundred. <laughs> Until it's be then, an exciting one. Bye.